0: No, not word at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalamu ala rasulillah, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Before you build anything, you think about the purpose of that which you are building. So if I want to build a building, if I want to build a house, if I want to build a place of business, I need to really think about the purpose of why I'm building what I'm building. And then as an extension, after I think about the purpose, then I think about how I want it to function. What are the functionalities of that building going to be? So before you pick up a single hammer, before you pick up a single nail, before you actually physically construct anything, because oftentimes we think that that is the most important component, of building anything, is the actual work that goes into it, the construction project that's happening in front of you. It doesn't really become a reality in the minds of people until they start seeing something being constructed. But we have to appreciate the uh, inception, the idea uh, of that building needs to be clarified. It needs to have a clear idea, a purpose. Those functions need to be discussed And reflected upon similarly when we talk about the Ottoman Empire and we talk about this great and glorious Empire of what it accomplished uh, the lands the advancements it made during its tenure we have to think about what was the idea what was the purpose that the Ottoman Empire was built upon and we won't find that better than in the words of Uthman bin Ordughul So Uthman the founder of the Ottoman Empire the Ottoman state he left advices he left guidance for his son Orhan So Orhan this is around uh, approximately 726 after Hijri And he left some very sage advice and that would now form the foundation, the purpose, the functionalities of how this Ottoman Empire would be constructed upon. So this is probably uh, the the most important first step that was taken uh, with this family, with this initiative to create the Ottoman Empire. So what are the advices? What did he leave him with? What were the foundational ideas and purposes of this empire? Well, let's go through that. He says to his son, O son, avoid being concerned with anything that was not commanded by Allah SWT. If you, faced a, if you face a problem, then consult the judgment of the scholars. Furthermore, he goes on to say, O son, honor those who are around you and be generous towards your army. Do not let the devil deceive you concerning your soldiers and your wealth. Do not avoid the people of sharia. He goes on to say, O son, you are aware that your sole objective is to please Allah SWT. It is with struggling fee sabilillah." that the light of our religion can spread everywhere so that we might achieve the pleasure of Allah Taala. O oh son, we are not among those who wage wars for the passion of sovereignty. We live by Islam and we die for Islam and that my son is what you are fit for. Uh, so these uh, advices were collected by Dr. Muhammad Harb and some other narrations in uh, the book Political History of the Ottoman State and uh, also uh, The Misfortune of the Children of Uthman There are further advices that we will narrate Another advice, O son You should know that the spread of Islam, guiding people rightly to it and protecting the property of Muslims is a trust around your neck which Allah will ask you about on the Day of Judgment O son, I am drifting towards my Lord, and I am very proud of you, for you will be just to your subjects, and a mujahid fi sabilillah spreading his deen. O son, I recommend that you treat the scholars of the ummah well, honoring them and consulting them for their opinions, for they only do what is good. O son, beware not to do something which displeases Allah if you meet any difficulty regarding an issue ask the scholars of Islam and they will guide you towards what is good you should know my son that your only way in this life is the way of Allah your sole objective is to spread the religion of Allah for we are not seekers of status and worldly matters. O son there is no one in this world who will not be subject to death. And my time has come near by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I hand you the affairs of the state. Be just in all your issues. Now let's reflect upon this advice because this advice would form the constitution of this nascent state. Firstly, when he says, O son, avoid being concerned with anything that is not commanded by Allah, the Lord of the worlds. Our Rasul the blessed messenger, peace be upon him, on the authority of Abu Hurairah, he says in an authentic hadith, that the part of Ihsan, the part of perfection of one's Islam is that you should leave that which does not concern you. So part of the perfection, part of the completeness of your deen of your religion, is that you leave that which does not concern you. Here, the advice uh, Uthman is giving, O son, avoid being concerned with anything that is not commanded by Allah, the Lord of the worlds. So when the scholars comment on the hadith that I mentioned of Rasul Wasallam, they mention that you should avoid you know, things that are uh, related to gossip, you know, people's personal affairs, hearsay, you know, conjecture, you know, like basically, uh, salacious types of news that you would see in tabloids. But what a person should be concerned about, and that's not included in what we are not concerned about, is that we should be concerned about the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we find ourselves in an era, we find ourselves in a time where people are neglectful or they're not aware or they don't educate themselves of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded. So we ignore that. We don't concern ourselves with the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we concern ourselves with all sorts of other types of things. We concern ourselves with entertainment use. We concern ourselves with the personal ongoings and lives of people. We concern ourselves with you know, sports and entertainment and all of these other things. So we concern ourselves with all this extra fluff that perhaps that could be getting us in. And we don't concern ourselves with with things that are important, with what Allah SWT has commanded us to do. So here he's saying that avoid being concerned with anything else except for what Allah ta'ala has commanded you to do. And in Surah Yusuf, when it comes to knowing the command, understanding the command of Allah ta'ala, I want to turn to Surah Yusuf, I have 40 for a moment. Allah SWT tells us, the command is for none but Allah and he has commanded you to worship none but him that is the right religion but most people do not know so we can take our commandment we can take our guidance what Allah has guided us towards in this dunya and in the akhirah, in our deen and dunya from what Allah has told us or we can take it from an alternative source now let's just compare the level of knowledge so If we take our command, what to do, what is best for us to do, from any alternative source, whether it be our own desires, whether it be somebody else, whether it be like, um, you know, a script of prescription, a a set of prescriptions that somebody else uh, says that this is the best thing for you, we should immediately acknowledge that that knowledge, whether it's our own selves or anyone else, that knowledge is limited. And that knowledge always becomes outdated. So that knowledge always gets replaced. And oftentimes it backtracks and then you'll change something, then you'll go back to it and you'll change something again. So that knowledge is limited in its comprehensiveness. So the advice following that commandment is not very stable, right? It keeps, it can keep changing. Now, if we turn and we get our command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ultimate source of knowledge, then we know. That what we are following and who are we who we subjugate ourselves to be commanded by, at least like we should be comfortable in the fact that it is the ultimate source of knowledge. Not only that it necessitates being the creation of the creator that necessitates us following uh, the commandments, but you know the alternative is what you're going to follow something that is going to be deficient in knowledge. Allah SWT tells us in Surah An Nisa, ayah 105. We have sent down to you the book in truth that you might judge between man as Allah has shown you. Allah SWT has given us the tools to use in all our affairs. Allah SWT has given us the Quran. Allah SWT has given us these uh, guidance from the Sunnah, and Allah SWT has blessed us with scholars of this deen. So, Allah SWT has given us so many different tools for us to use in our affairs and how we can uh, move forward in our affairs in the best way possible for ourselves and the most successful outcome. In uh, Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 7, Allah says, Remember the favor of Allah to you and His covenant which He ratified with you when you said, We hear and we obey and we fear Allah, for Allah knows well the secrets of your hearts. So when we are given a commandment by Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala we should say سَمَعْنَا wa ta'ana. not not sami'na wa those people who disbelieve and those people who chastise the messenger sallallahu saying we we listen we're listening but we disbelieve Th- this is a favor remember the tools that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the commandments that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the sharia that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us is a favor for us it's a favor for us We often times we think we are doing a favor to Allah, we are doing a favor to the deen, we're doing a favor to our sheikh, we're doing a favor to our parents, we're doing a favor to our leaders by following what is good. No, we are the ones that are being given the favor by following the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is not us that, it's not the creation that is doing a favor to the creator. It's not the creation following the ultimate wisdom and the ultimate knowledge of what the creator is guiding us with it's not a favor that we're doing by following it we're being given the favor we're being given the best source of guidance in what we do Uh, and this ayah is i think encapsulate this idea very well that uh, we made this covenant with allah that we as muslims it's not supposed to be something that is superficial. We've said that we listen and we obey the ayat of Qur'an. We follow the command. We don't just listen to the ayat of Qur'an in Ramadan. And we don't just listen to the ayat of Qur'an in weddings. And we just don't listen to the ayat of Qur'an in funerals. But we listen to the ayat of Qur'an and we should engage with the ayat of Qur'an because it's supposed to be followed. The hadith of our Rasul is supposed to be followed. So these things are uh, uh, reflection, our, our listening should be also immediately tied together with our obedience and we know Allah Taala knows what's in the state of our hearts because we don't just follow it externally but we should also follow it internally how can we hate what we are commanded to do you know many times people will struggle with their deen and they have this struggle it's like they're on the fence their iman is very weak and you talk to many muslims they have this internal struggle and turmoil in their practice of their deen but externally they're they're checking off all the right boxes externally they're checking off salah externally they're checking off fasting during the month of ramadan externally they're checking off hajj externally they're they're checking off uh paying zakat so externally they're they're checking off all these different things but internally there's This struggle, there's this struggle with the commandments of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. There's a struggle with the acceptance of of that command. There's a struggle. Am I doing something that uh, uh, that is uh, you know uh, that I could be doing that I could do something alternative? I could be fulfilling my desire. You know, is is what I'm doing something that is truly good for me? When I could be fulfilling uh, maybe an alternative uh, desire. So there's that struggle, and, and that and because you have that struggle, the internal doesn't match the external, there's a weakness. You're on this fence, you're you know, you're teetering back and forth with your deen. The internal Allah SWT is saying he knows what's the state of your hearts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying not only fear, on, not only hear and obey, but have a sense of taqwa of Allah, SWT, a consciousness of Allah. SWT. Have a, a fear and awe of Allah, SWT. have hope in Allah. SWT. Have an acceptance uh, of, uh, of Allah as your only Lord and sustainer and provider. Because Allah Taala knows the secrets of our hearts. And then in Surah uh, Ma'ayah 50, Allah says, Do they then seek after a judgment of the days of ignorance? But who for a people whose faith is assured can give better judgment than Allah? So what is the alternative? The alternative is that you, you're you struggling. If you struggle with your iman, you, so you have this external output. Internally, there's some kind of discombobulation happening here. And then, what do you turn to then? Do you turn to jahiliyyah? Do you turn to ignorance after Allah Taala has blessed you with iman? Do you seek a judgment from from jahiliyyah? Or do you seek a judgment from what Allah Taala has gama- commanded uh, mankind, humanity to do? What Allah SWT has blessed humanity to do. Because this goes back down to our purpose in life. That goes, that again, the purpose of what you're building, you need to know it beforehand before you build it. Or else you're going to have something shoddy that goes up. You might have a loose idea in your mind, but that building is going to collapse. Your house of Islam is going to collapse. If the Ottoman Empire didn't have a clear purpose, it would collapse. So it goes back to your fundamental purpose in life. That we have not created men and jinn except to worship Allah. And that purpose needs to be real. That has to be authentic. There needs to be some meaning behind that purpose. Uh, what is the difference? What is the difference between uh, plastic fruits and real fruits? You know, if you saw a bowl full of plastic fruits and you saw a bowl full of real fruits, you know, people buy plastic fruits. What is the purpose for people to buy plastic fruits? Is it for when guests come over uh, that they can feed the guests? Is that why people buy plastic fruits? You know, and some of these plastic fruits, man, can look like real, like they can look so real. I remember going to, like, a brother's house, and there's, like, this tasty bowl of grapes in front of me. And I said, oh, man, do you mind if I have one of these grapes? Like, no, 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 you can't. It's plastic. I'm like, man, this is, like, plastic. Like, this is fake fruit. This is this looks absolutely real, you know? Like, now I feel like looking at that, I feel like having some real fruits, okay? So that plastic, what is the purpose of that plastic fruit? It's just to look like fruit. It's just to look Good. So is the purpose of your deen just to look like a Muslim? Or is the purpose of your deen to be a Muslim? You know, there's a big difference. That plastic fruit will never sustain you. Real fruits, yes, you can benefit from it. You can consume that and that fruit will be beneficial for you. But guess what? You need to keep replacing it. Just like your iman, just like Islam. You need to keep renewing it. You need to keep working with it. You need to keep investing in it. You take the fruits of Islam, but then you invest. You do more acts of ibadah. You do you you put in the iman. You put in the work. You read the Quran, and you're you're getting uh you're reaping more and more of the fruits uh from uh, Islam. And so this is elucidated, you know, in the statement of uh, Uthman to Arhan that, O son, beware not to occupy yourself with something Allah did not command you. Because this is essentially clarifying his purpose uh, uh, for the empire and clarifying the purpose of one's life. That if we look at the two main meanings of worship, two, two main components of uh, worship, is that we worship none but Allah. And we worship what Allah has commanded us and legislated us towards. Those are essentially the two main components for us to fulfill that act of worship. Moving on. Uthman when he says to his son, if you face problems in your command, then consult the opinion of the scholars. Now, we... we have lost a great resource today. There is uh there is a great great resource that we have lost in our uh Ummah today. And that is the benefit of consultation of Shura. Allah tells us in the Ayat of Quran, which he commanded, the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, the one who is a Nabi. The one who was a Rasul, the one who had the most knowledge, the guidance, the leader, uh, this, the most influential human being for the Ummah of our, uh, for, for this Ummah, because we are the Ummah of Rasul uh, He's telling in Surah Al Imran, Ayah 159, and consult them in the affairs. Then, when you have taken a decision, put your trust in Allah, for Allah loves those who put their trust in Him. So, a necessary principle for an Islamic system is shura. Shura is a necessary component. It, it, if the Messenger of Allah was told to take shura from the Sahaba, he came to guide the Sahaba, but Allah is guiding the Messenger towards taking consultation, taking uh, advice, consulting his. Uh, his uh, his uh his fellow Muslims. And he and he did from both the sahaba, Sahabiyat, from uh from his community, from his trusted advisors. Allah subhanahu he tells us in Surah Al Shura ayah thirty eight, those who respond to their Lord and establish regular pra- prayers who conduct their affairs by mutual consultation, who spend out of what we bestow on them for sustenance. Professor uh, Abdul Qadr uh Auda, he says that consultation is one of the fundamentals of Iman and one of the most distinguishing attributes of Muslims. Allah SWT has equaled it to salah and the giving of sadaqah, of charity. It's such an integral part. And subhanAllah, you're going to see all of these advices that he's giving his son, Uthman, how closely tied it is to the deen. Why? Why is it so powerful? It's not because he's coming up with something new on its own, but because he's reflecting what what we are taught in our deen, the guidances that we are taught in in our deen. And so, when you look at the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Empire divided their uh, the, you know their empire into different regions and different lands, different provinces, and they would give uh, a leader for each. Uh, region they would call them the pasha. They would have Islamic scholars, and they would consult the different pashas, and they would consult the different scholars. And when they did this, their empire was very successful. That was a key component. I want you to think about this. When it, where, where is he? What? Where in these advices to the Ottoman Empire is he saying you need to invest in the greatest amount of military technology? for this empire to spread. Okay, where is the materialism? Where is like sometimes the superficial reasons people give for success uh, for an empire or for a society? Okay. Continues on to say, oh son, I recommend that you treat the scholars of the ummah well and honor them. Now, this is part of your value system. When you consult with people of knowledge, when you consult with people uh, in general, That shows again, you value what you value the commandments of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and you value people around you. You value like there's not this disconnect between the the Jama'ah. When you consult people, uh, you value the opinion of others, and you're not the center of the universe. Even though you may have a specific title or uh, you're given a specific position of authority, no, you you value the command of Allah above yourself. You even would maybe look at the opinions of others over your own opinion when you're taking uh, Shura. Uh, do you value the ulama the people of Alam? Do you honor them? Do we honor the people of Alam? Uh, you know, nowadays, it's pretty sad to see the way we deal with people of of Alam, like the people of knowledge, the scholars. We We don't really treasure them, we don't really value them, we don't inquire about their well-being you know oftentimes the only time we'll say anything about a scholar is if we dis- disagree with a scholar or maybe to put down a scholar or to criticize a scholar and so forth but Uthman he's telling his son uh, that surround yourselves with people of Ilm, value them, honor them treat them well and you see this with you know, people like Sheikh uh, Bali that he uh, would go to for consultation that he would honor. Because when you have these types of people around you, we need good people around us. We need to be able to consult with people of al. It is only a benefit to us to do that. It only serves to raise our own position when we honor somebody else, especially a person of, uh, of ilm in surah yunus allah SWT, he tells uh, for the awliya of allah so to be this close awliya this you know uh, someone who is very very close to allah subhanahu that allah subhanahu will favor on the day of judgment allah subhanahu talks about them for them are glad tidings in this life now what are the glad tidings like so these people who have glad tidings what is meant by this this uh uh Uh, Mubashara, like this uh, Bashara. What are the glad tidings? So one of the glad tidings, the explanation of what these glad tidings is, is that these people have insight from Allah. This is in Sahih Bukhari. That good insight is from Allah. And Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also says good insight is, is 146th of prophethood. So if you have these people around you, you have people who have insight from Allah ta'ala. They have a deeper way of looking at issues. They have maybe a different perspective that you may not have. They go beyond the superficial to be able to uh, analyze and look at things. Each and every one of us, we should ask ourselves, do we have trusted people of the alim that we can go to? Because that is a a, a, a blessing just for yourself. Imagine if you wanted to invest Uh, in stock so you want to get into the stock game and you had with you like on your whatsapp you have uh warren buffett okay as an advisor so you're gonna go he's what do they call him the oracle oracle of omaha okay that uh you know he can see like the future of these that's why he was able to predict all these different things stocks going up if you had that, you'd be like, man, I'm so blessed to have like this guy on my WhatsApp. He can tell me what stocks I should invest in and, you know, all, all, all these different things like, man, this is awesome. So having those people in your life, like maybe you could use it in your personal life, uh, you know, your relationships uh, and your work and how you should deal with different issues and, and problems and whatnot. So having somebody on your team who has insight from Allah Taala is important, It's key, is critical. Uh, is something that will make your uh, job much better having that type of uh, advisor and what else for the... what else is a good... Uh, there's another meaning uh, of this and the other meaning is that um, Abu Dharr uh, he said I asked Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi a man does good deed for the sake of Allah and people praise him and Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that this is glad tidings Okay. Uh, this is bishara for the believer. Okay, so this is glad tidings for the believer. So another effect of the glad tidings in this life for the awliya of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is that you would get rec- people. The good people are going to recognize you. Like people will praise you for the good that you did. So for example, somebody like Othman, we we are you know people praise him. This is a glad tidings from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala this is a, this is an additional glad tidings people like muhammad al fatih uh, this is a glad tidings when people review and study and admire the life of uh, muhammad al fatih so uh, the uh uthman he loved he was loved by his people of course you know we called it dawlat al rafmania Ottoman empire he was loved by his people and he was surrounded by people of good insight so he had this bashara from allah in Surah Al Nisa, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, uh, Obey Allah, Ati Allah, wa Ati Rasul, and obey the Messenger, wa ulul amri munkum, and those who are in authority around you. And Ibn Abbas He says, The people that are authority, one of the explanations of the people that are authority that you should obey around you are the people of Islamic knowledge, are the scholars of this deen. Again, a commandment from Allah, you need to have these people in your life, you need to respect them, you need to treasure them. And of course, like we don't go to extremes, there are some people who take like one sheikh and it becomes like a dalil for them to do everything. And I only follow this, no, no, we follow Islam, number one, See, we follow Allah, His messenger. And then, of course, we need these people who are a reflection of that. You know, so we we have to make sure we don't become extreme in that idea as well, because some people will follow things that are contradictory to the Quran and the Sunnah by following their sheikh. And of course, we don't go to that extreme, because you know, when you have a person of ilm, you have a person of knowledge. You can ask them about difficult matters, difficult issues. When I see so many uh, youth struggling in our community, when I see so many families struggling in our community. And I see that there's this disconnect. Unfortunately, you know, without getting too much into it, because I want to go through a lot of the material here in, in this constitution of uh, of man. We have like this disconnect, like we're disconnected with scholars. There's And maybe there's a lack of trust between leaders and scholars and scholars and the jama'an. So there is a, this a little bit, there's not this harmony and togetherness that we should perhaps have. But Allah is telling us, like we we, there's this command. There should be a desire. There should be an initiative for us to try to pull together and try to uh, preserve and 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 treasure these uh, sources and resources that we have within our community. Allah SWT tells us in Surah Al Anbiya, ask the people of reminder, So ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. So ask the people of reminder. And when the Ottomans would go through trials and tribulations, the Ottoman scholars would be consulted. When uh, the people would be divided, the Ottoman scholars would be able to bring the people together. When they were uh, trying to figure out how are we going to establish uh, the way that we govern ourselves, they helped establish the sharia. And they also helped keep the Sultans in check. Yes, they reminded the sultan, so they spoke the truth because they need to be the ultimate representatives of uh, of truth. Uh, and where are the where are the, what what is these scholars? Are they just spe- special in and of themselves? No, they're special because they're following a methodology. They're trying to be a representative of the Quran and the Sunnah. So, for example. Uh, in Surah Al-Nisa ayah 105, Allah SWT says, We reveal the scripture with the truth that you may judge between mankind by that which Allah has shown you. So this ayah is in evidence that this Quran is revealed in truth. So we take this as a, as a, as a source of uh, of knowledge of you know how we conduct ourselves. The sunnah, okay, our Wasallam is saying that you may judge. So now we're looking at the Messenger. So we take the, the methodology of the scholar is that they take the Quran. They are representative of the Sunnah. And then when we look also in Sukh al Ayah one fifteen, that Allah SWT is talking about. Following the way of the believers, so we look at ijma. So, if there is a consensus amongst the scholars, if there is a consensus uh, amongst the sahaba as well, then that becomes an evidence in and of itself. And when you can't find something uh, from clearly that that's demarcated from the Quran and the Sunnah or ijma, then yes, you can make ijtihad, and we have uh, uh, proof of this in. Uh, you know sort of the i eighty three that uh, if there's nothing clear cut and avail- available then uh we th- you know there may be some interpretation involved, and they do their best they do their best and it's and people oftentimes they try to make um a uh a comparison which is not equivalent. They'll say okay, if we don't have a clear answer in regards to something then that particular scholar will be flawed. And they could be flawed. That scholar could be flawed in their judgment. Okay, so that scholar may not do or might not say, may not have the right opinion about something. And that is fine. It's about following the system. Okay, it's about following a specific methodology because as I mentioned in a previous podcast, that if a person makes a judgment and it is correct they get two rewards according to the hadith of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and, and if they make a judgment and uh, it's incorrect they still get one reward so it's about the process because Rasul, this is part of the test it's not about follow, like having uh, everything so clearly laid out that you will have no problems or there won't be any learning or anything like that because then we wouldn't be making the dua every day mustaqim," Oh, Allah guide us to the straight path we never take hidayah for, uh, for granted we know that it's a continuous struggle but we have some fundamental core principles that help us get the best outcome okay now uh, and so for example uh and a system that he is following, that Uthman is establishing, is a system for example based on Tawheed. Now what does that, how is that reflective in the economic system? Well within the economic system of, of al Rahmaniyah, you don't have banks with interest, you don't have an, like an interest-based uh, type of system. So if a person needs to borrow money, then the system is different, you, know, you may give collateral Uh, if it's asked for, but there's no interest in that system. So that's very, it's a very different way of setting it up. Will it be perfect? Will there be issues? Could a person run off with that money? Yes, it could happen, but that is still better than any alternative. That will still be better than any type of alternative. You know, when you look at, for example, the housing and mortgage system today, if you were to buy a house... Uh, say two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you put fifty thousand down, and it has four percent interest. So, say a thirty-year mortgage, you are actually uh, spending. Uh, by the end, by the by the time you pay off that loan, you're you're spending an additional hundred and forty-three thousand dollars. An additional hundred and forty-three thousand dollars. Now that's 4% historically if you look at interest rates they've been around 8% or even they can be higher than that. But when you look um uh say if you had an 8% now interest rate then if that same loan you're spending $328,000 in interest. Okay? So you're 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 paying more than double, two and a half almost two and a half times more than uh, in just interest alone, okay. So it's a completely there's a completely different system when you base it on Tawhid. It's a completely different outcome when you base it on Quran and Sunnah and Ajma' and Ijtihad. Othman goes on to say to his son uh, that we will discuss. You should know, my son, that the spreading of Islam the guidance of people to it and the protection of the lives of Muslims and their properties is a trust around your neck which Allah will ask you about. Uh, And so Uthman, he was appreciative that his uh, deen was a deen of continuous da'wah. That's one of the fundamental uh, aspects of our religion that we should we should understand we should appreciate and this was embedded in this initial constitution of Uthman that Dawa is a central key core principle in Surah al-Maidah ayah 67 uh, al is told uh, to- uh, sorry Allah is telling our Rasul ya Nabi make known that which has been revealed okay or ya Rasul sorry ya yuhar Rasul uh, make it known, okay? What has been revealed? So you need to go and take the balag, the message, to the people. You need to go take it to the people. Now, when this ayah was revealed to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he sent messages to all the kings and leaders that were known that he could reach and had. Uh, uh, that were known to him. So the Roman Emperor. He was sending a letter. And then he found he found out that the Roman Emperor does not receive letters that don't have a seal. And so then what did the Messenger of Allah do? He commissioned a seal to me, he made specifically for what? For dawah purposes. They didn't use a seal. The Arab didn't use a seal. The Roman emperor, okay, you're only going to read this letter if it's in a seal? Okay, I'm going to make a seal so that you will read this message. This is what the dawah uh, means, is that if something is needed in the dawah, you do whatever is needed. You spend the money, you put the effort, you get the technology. You do whatever the da'wah requires. So he made a seal. He sent uh, letters to the Persians, to the Ethiopians, to the Egyptians, to Barqa, to a Yamama, all within uh, a day. And he sent uh, letters also to Amman, and Bahrain, and Yemen. So he sent letters everywhere. He Rasul Sallam doesn't get an uh, ayah from Qur'an uh, and, and does not act upon it. Immediately he he, he does that. And Uthman does not uh you know say something that he does not uh, do Othman's reign was a reign of dawa and he supported different dawa organi- organizations and groups that existed in his empire financially uh intellectually and his family and descendants of his family were a reflection of that and because this was such an important part of Their program, this was a very important part of their empire, their values, many people came into the fold of Islam, many, many people came into the fold of Islam. You had entire villages come into the fold of Islam, groups of Christians would come into the fold of Islam, and they treated them very well because many of these Christians were being oppressed in the feudal system. But when they saw that these people honored them and gave them respect and gave them, you know, uh, courtesies and uh, they treated them with dignity, they came into the fold of Islam. And many of the men, they would marry Ahlul Kitab. And they would see, their in-laws would see the way that they were being treated. How their women would be uh, would be treated and how they would be honored and dignified. So many people came into the fold of Islam because of that uh, da'wah. This safeguarding of our deen this promotion of our deen is a protection it acts as a protection it acts as a protection for humanity not only the deen itself but humanity as a whole allah swt tells us in surah al-hajj those who have been expelled from their home unjustly only because they said our lord is allah for had it not been that allah checks one set of people by means of another, monasteries, churches, synagogues, and mosques, wherein the name of Allah's mentioned, would surely have been pulled down. Dawah, you know, giving uh, the call to people, calling people, to, and preserving the message of Islam. This is what has prote- protected our deen. You know, they've uh, if you didn't have people checking uh, others, if the people weren't representing Islam with passion, you would have... Many more masajid being closed down, many more masajid turning into museums, many uh, more masajids being re- repurposed for something else. Islam it comes, right? Islam comes to, uh, to uh, protect that, to protect deen in general, okay? And, but more specifically, of course, uh, the deen of Islam. Because there are, con- there are consequences. If you neglect the dawah, if you neglect the dawah, there are consequences for that. And we need to be prepared for those consequences. So as, as a community, as a Muslim community, each and every one of us has an obligation to contribute some shape, way or form for the dawah. Some shape, way or form for the dawah. Because this is the way that this deen is going to be preserved. If we neglect that, if we give up on that, there are consequences for that. In Surah the shura Ayah 30, Allah taala says, Whatever misfortune strikes you, it is what your." your own hands have uh, earned He forgives much so when we neglect that we suffer the consequences you give up on dawah you don't give the message of Islam okay now media is going to talk about the message of Islam and turn you into less than human beings and vilify you if we don't give dawah and stand up for Islam and, and Muslim, then yes you will be oppressed you will be marginalized you will be humiliated so there are there's consequences you will suffer by not supporting and, and, and giving the dawah. It, so I can't speak well in the media or I don't have public speaking bill. Well, people who can, you need to support them. You know, you have many times people will criticize uh, the du'at, okay? And they do nothing. Are the du'at above criticism? No. Let's get that straight. Everyone can be criticized. Everyone can receive nasihah but your criticism is pale uh in compare like your your support is pale in comparison to your criticism so you need to support as well as a person maybe you might uh disagree with methodology or a few choice words or something but how many people will show the support i i know uh certain people i know muslims probably in when it comes to the field of dawah, there are probably more of a barrier to the duat in general than non-Muslims are. And then when we suffer the consequences, the whole community suffers, it's what our own hands have put forth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and told us in Surah Al Imran regards to the battle of Ahud, say it is from yourselves. When you disobeyed the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you gave up on what Allah has guided you towards, you have to now suffer the consequences there are calamities. It will occur. There's no doubt about it. In Surah Hud, ayah 116, 117, Allah subhanahu wa Taala is telling us in these ayat, uh, that, uh, like if there had been people who were warning against this corruption, so the, this, uh, you know, these people have turned towards corruption, and because they turned into corruption, just to encapsulate the meaning of these ayat, Allah destroyed these people, He punished these people. But He says that, Allah does not destroy a township uh tyrannously uh like unjustly while there there are people who are doing right who are doing good things, so we need to turn to allah we 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 turn to Allah SWT. and part of when we turn to Allah and we uphold those commandments and we give that da'wah is an appreciation that Allah has given us the opportunity to do this this is something that's honorable that we should we should really embrace we should feel really good about giving dawah I, when I, when you talk to a person who has high iman it's like there's a correlative uh, um, relationship that a person who has high iman wants to give dawah when you see a lot of people come into the fold of Islam I've never seen a new Muslim come into the fold of Islam because usually they have a a, a really passionate zeal for Islam. I've never seen a new Muslim come to the fold of Islam and not want to give da'wah. I have yet to see that. A person who truly believes, unless of course they came to Islam, but there's, a, there's an alternative reason uh, for that, okay? maybe they're trying to collect a paycheck or something. That's a different reason. But uh, if a person truly comes to Islam, like they, they, they came to, to the deen, they understand what it means, it like goes hand in hand, they want to tell everyone. Everyone and their uncle and their auntie about Islam. They want to bring people to Islam. They want to share people. They go to their family. They go to their friends. And they tell them, I'm Muslim. I'm excited. You know, they, 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 you can see it uh, You know, the, uh, in their hearts. And you can see it uh, You know, on their faces. How much uh, that happiness uh, they want to share with people. And Allah, He tells us in Surah Ibrahim. That if you give thanks... Allah, what does Allah SWT say? He says, "I will give you more." He will, He will give you more. You know, we part of our dawah is this, uh, this appreciation that we have been guided towards Allah SWT. And, and this is part of what it means to be the best comu- community. Yeah, kuntum ummatin nas. That you are the best community ever raised for mankind. That is a reflection uh, of that. You can't be the best if you're not proud or confident enough to share it with others. Uthman, he advised his son, O son, honor those around you and be generous to your army. This is a middle nation inherently in its characteristic. So we don't need to say, oh we need to have a balanced Islam, we need to have a moderate Islam. Because what you are actually saying is that there's inherently an extremist element within Islam and you basically bought the narrative of what uh, haters have said what people who uh, are trying to distort Islam have said what orientalists have said so you buy that narrative Islam inherently is a middle nation it's like saying we need to make water wet okay when you're saying I need to make Islam moderate you're that just makes about as just as much sense as saying I want to make water wet so this is a middle nation and Allah SWT has told us in Surah Al-Baqarah Ayah 143 we have appointed you as a middle nation and be, as such we have rights between the leaders and the followers we have rights between that and there's duties between that and justice is a you know to have something in a state of justice means that we want to give everyone their correct right and their correct due and that we maintain this relationship of duties and obligations with one another. Othman is telling his son honor those around you and be generous to your army you need to be just with people. So the duties that a ruler has to his followers, a leader has to his followers, uh I'll list some for you. The preserving of, number one, preserving pure faith of the ummah. So preserving the iman of the ummah. That's a duty. That's a fundamental duty. Number one, it's not to make sure that our community is the richest community. Our community is the most well-liked community. Preserving iman. Number two, all efforts to unify the ummah. That is a duty a proper leader should have. Try to bring the ummah together. How many of our leaders are doing what Sultan Abdul Hamid II did? Was trying to bring pan-Islamic unity, bring people together, bring organizations like that. Needs to be a continuous effort to bring the jamaat together, not just your own congregation, not just your own fiefdom, your own emirate, your own little island that you've created within your own community. No, you're. You should have a desire to always bring people together. I remember many years ago, there was a move to try to have a unified, a united Eid, and this was about twenty years ago. There was a when I was going to uh, university, there was like this movement to try ha- try to have a united Eid. After a few years, there was really no effort, and now it's a far gone conclusion. You know, it's a foregone conclusion, like. There's really no effort by any community leaders to bring it together united Aid. and when you talk to people in the different masajid and community centers, this is not even worth it, no one's going to want to do it, you know, we need to be able to collect money for our own community during Eid, Salah and things like that. And now we can't even have proper Salah. SubhanAllah. So all efforts to unify the Ummah. Number three, protecting the Ummah from enemies. So when you are unjustly being attacked in the media, when you're being, your sisters are being physically attacked, when you have different uh, harms and threats to the ummah, you, there's a job. Any leader should have that job to protect uh, the ummah from enemies. Protecting the properties of people from corruptors and outlaws. So again, protecting the property of people. Pre- uh, preparing the ummah concerning struggling for the sake of Allah ta'ala. Preserving the commands of the Sharia • Collecting and distributing the zakat lawfully • Trustworthy people for positions and responsibilities • Granting subjects the rights from Bayt al-Mal without extravagance and in due time • Directly supervising the affairs of the population in any administration that is related to the public welfare and we could probably spend an entire podcast talking about the wisdoms of this, uh, of the obligations that leaders have for their subjects. Now, what are some uh, duties that the followers have for the leaders? Firstly, obedience. They should obey them, they should listen, they shouldn't rebel against them. Rasul. Uh, he says though, as a caveat, because we know this from the Ayah that we quoted in Surah an nisa Ayah 59, that we should obey uh, the leaders, the people who are in charge of you. But we should obey them insofar as they're obedient to Allah, according to the hadith of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He says, Obey him, the leader, in far as he's obedient to Allah, and disobey him in matters involving disobedience to Allah ta'ala. So you obey, as long as they're obeying Allah, you obey the uh, the, the leader. We should support them. Allah SWT tells us in the Qur'an, عَلَى taqwa And support each other. Help one another in righteousness and piety. So the leaders, if we had for example today, somebody with the qualities of Uthman bin Arthur Ghul, would he find people to support him today? Would he find people to support him? What if we have somebody like the qualities of Salah al-Din? what if we had the, somebody with the qualities of muhammad al fatih would there be people willing to support because a person can't do it on their own that's an obligation we have to understand this is a duty that we need to support our leaders especially like the good ones need our support especially like our good ulama need to support we can't abandon them we can't leave them in the lurch we can't when the when times get tough for them we can't just turn our backs and think, okay, some of that toughness, some of that fitna might uh, now wear off on me. No, we need to be there to support. If they are taking a leadership role and standing up for something that is true and praiseworthy, they're standing up for the haqq, they need people to stand up with them for the haqq. Even our blessed messenger wasallam had the sahaba to support him. He had sahaba supporting him in his message. So we need to help and support. This is uh, a duty that the followers have for their leader. To respect and to honor. Uh, and we know uh, according uh, you know, to, to the statement of Rasulullah glorifying Allah involves showing honor to a gray-haired Muslim. And the one who can expound the Qur'an. So one who can has knowledge, who can explain the Qur'an. But not to the one who acts extravagantly regarding it or turns away from it and showing honor to a just ruler. We honor them. We treasure them. We shouldn't just honor people who are no longer with us. we honoring Uthman, we're honoring Muhammad al fatih we're honoring Salah al-Din, uh, we are honoring uh, even Malcolm X. Like we are honoring all these great. They're not with us anymore. That's great. We sh- you know we we honored them. We appreciate what the what they did, but there are people who are true and standing up for the Hakka today that we need to honor them as well. We need to value them as well. Give them advice. Be sincere towards them. So uh, in the Hadith, Adina uh, Nasihah. Uh, this. Uh, truly means not just advice it means like you need to have goodwill uh towards uh people so you know when uh, in the hadith to who to Allah to his messenger to his book uh to uh the uh the leader of the Muslims so when we're talking about the leader of the Muslims part of having goodwill and being sincere towards them is to advise them sincerely and when we talk about advice we're not talking about scandalizing a person we're not talking about insulting a person we're talking about trying to sincerely hope. You you believe maybe there's something wrong that the leader is doing or you see something wrong within them. If your true objective is that they're corrected because think about the alternative. Your alternative is that that person is replaced with somebody else. Okay, so say, okay, I want this person gone. So maybe that's corrupted then. That maybe that's a struggle for power. But if you truly care about that person, then you care that, okay, the, most best, the best effect for the Jamaat the, the people, the community, is if that leader is corrected. And so you make a du'a for them and you advise them. You know, how many times do we see some incorrect in a leader and we have made du'a for them? That we have tried to befriend them and try to advise them. We need this process. We need to revive this true care and compassion within our uh, community. If there is corruption, then yes, there needs to be reformation. So if there is corruption by our leaders, then another duty that uh, followers have, and again, there is a methodology based upon that. Because you don't want the methodology that was used by the people of Fitna during the khilafa of Uthman bin Affan radiallahu anhu, okay, the son-in-law, of Rasul sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, You don't want that methodology. Those people of Finna or the Sab'eens who who came to cause all this death and destruction thinking that they're causing some type of reformation or they're trying to right some type of wrong. It should have a proper methodology. And there are incidents of proper methodology within the history of the Ottoman Empire. So an example of this is Sheikh al Ibn Ali Ibn Ahmed Al-Jamali uh, okay? uh, also known as uh, Al-Zinbili uh, and this was a sheikh that lived during the time of Sultan Salim and he corrected the sheikh and he stood up for something that he felt was wrong during his term so this is th- I want you to think about this why would he do this if that wasn't a value system that was appreciated within the Ottoman Empire that yeah if I'm doing something wrong check me you, know, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself okay so he's checking uh, uh the the sultan at that time how did he check him is that uh, he had actually ordered the sultan salim ordered 150 people to be executed so these were people within the administration treasury keepers and so when uh sheik shaikh uh came to know what's happening he wanted to speak with the sultan and so the sultan uh, allowed him to meet with him, and he said to him that they should not be executed. So he gave a different opinion, and uh, and so he, when he was uh, uh, greeted by the sultan, he, and you know he, he said the job of those entrusted with the matter of fatwa, so he's saying the scholars, is to preserve the sultan's akhirah. And I fear that you have ordered the execution of 150 men from the royal court. Their execu- execution is not legally permissible according to the laws of the Sharia. So Sultan Salim, he was also known to have a you know a bit of a temper. So he became quite upset. And uh, he said, do not inter- interfere with the affairs of the Sultanate. That is not part of your job. And so the response of sheik he says, But I do, do, but I do interfere with the matter of your Akhirah. Something which is part of my job. So if you pardon the men, you will be saved. Otherwise, you will have a great punishment. So think about the way he's standing up to the Sultan. And so when the Sultan th- thought about this, his anger dissipated. He pardoned the men, and he uh, you know was uh, good with this sheikh and there was another incident as well that occurred when they were outside this city of Edirne where uh sheikh uh, again aladdin he saw that there was 400 men tied with ropes and that again they were sent uh for execution for uh buying silk which was uh, banned by the sultan and so when he uh upon hearing this he um he went to the sultan he said it is not permissible to kill them and the Sultan responded saying, you know, Yeah Sheikh, would it not be permissible to kill two-thirds of the world uh people in order to keep everyone else to live in order, to, to maintain order in society? And the Sheikh responded by saying, Yes. But what if it led to a greater disorder? And so the Sultan he responded by saying, uh, is there any disorder greater than violating an order? And the Sheikh responded by saying, These men did not violate your orders. You appointed a trustee regarding the silk and permission was thus granted indirectly to them. And the Sultani said, This is again this is not part of your job. And Sheikh Al Adin said, No, this is a matter of the Akhirah, and that is part of my job. So intervening is part of my job. And when the Sultan left he thought about it, he reconsidered this and he actually uh he, he recanted his judgment. The sultan and he made the sheikh actually like the the chief Qadi and he wanted to also make him the head of the army but the sheikh he did not want to have this position of of the lead of uh, our army he says I never wanted to pass through my lips ever a statement that would say that I ruled over somebody again amazing example of a sheikh correcting when it needs to be corrected when you need to reform if there's corruption if there's something wrong that there should be some type of reformation happening okay but look at the etiquettes and the adab. but it's not like what happened to um uthman bin affan when they came to kill him and they killed people and they killed many of the sahaba okay, this is not a proper reformation you know this is you know the, the 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 idea of the khawarij when they found something wrong is they killed people they killed muslims to do that and uh, their methodology of so called Amr bin Maruf and Ahl Munkara, you know, in joining the good and forbidding the evil, is actually caused a greater evil to occur. So, this is not the part of the proper Reformation corruption. But at the same time, we're not just supposed to passively allow wrong things to occur. We should stand up for what is correct. Uh, advice, he says, do not be deceived by Shaitan concerning your army and your wealth. It is not your army and your wealth that give you power. It is the, that's not what makes you special. That's not what makes you better than somebody else. Look at what uh, was said by Dhul Quranayn in Surah Al-Kahf. When he, he hears a man who was very wealthy, who was who who had an army, who was building a wall, this, this dam to protect people, He what did he say? With all these great accomplishments, he says, this is a mercy from Allah, this is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, shaitan makes you think that what you accomplish is so great, look at the world today, people think just because they've advanced in technology, they think they've uh, advanced in material goods, they're beyond repro- reproach, there's no need to be humble, shaitan comes to a person, whether it's an individual and says you are sufficient, you, want, you have power, you have sovereignty over your life. And then a calamity hits them and they get brought down to their knees and they're looking to Allah to save them. They're looking to their Lord to save them. It doesn't matter who they are. It could be an atheist. They're looking to Allah to save them. Look at nations brought down to their knees. SubhanAllah, imagine, I, I still can't believe the statistics right now. That the richest nation in the world right now is the United States. The richest nation in the world. They're averaging 1,000 deaths a day due to COVID. 1,000 deaths a day. The richest nation in the world. Don't look at your power. Don't look at your wealth. Don't look at your armies. Do not be deluded. Shaitan will delude you, will mislead you. You know, atheists, the people who propone atheism, they say, oh, look at what science and technology have done for us. As if science and technology within itself is like a deity. It's just a methodology of what human beings have been able to come. But human beings, remember at one point, you were like a fluid in the lower part of your parents. This is what humanity comes from. This is is where you came from. This is the lowly position that you came from. And then Allah made you something. And then you think your wealth, you think your money, because we'll do something for you that made you something. Look at the life cycle of a person. Look at what's happening in uh, our our homes, our assisted living homes, where so many people are dying. Look at look at the, where the state uh, you you get uh, returned back to, where you're helpless. At one point, that person could be so strong. At one point, maybe they could lift, you know, over two hundred pounds. At one point, maybe they had millions of dollars in the bank. At one point, they they had something. They were something. And then, whether it's the king or the pawn, they go in the same box. He goes on to say, another advice: it is with struggling sabilillah that our religion reaches all horizons and the pleasure of Allah SWT is achieved. We take a balanced approach always. We know firstly that as Allah SWT says tells us in Surah al-Anam. That verily our salaam, our sacrifice, our living, our dying, are for Allah, SWT, the Lord of the Alameen. So we know this is our purpose, but we take a, there's a balanced approach because again, we have a purpose, but the functionality of how to fulfill that pur- purpose is guided to us in the Quran and the Sunnah. So when you look at the the way an Islamic empire should conduct themselves they you, you see a stark contrast there should be a stark contrast between say for example how the Mongols conducted themselves okay the Mongols would be extremely brutal they wanted to use basically gangsterish type of tactics to scare people Cutting down people's heads, putting them on spikes, putting it outside a fortress to scare people so that they would just give up. You know, there, there was this huge uh, yeah, um, persona that they had uh, that went with them, uh, showing how brutal uh, they were to try to scare people. So Islam is different. The 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 balance is different. You need to be just in all sense. And sort of the Baqara ayah 190 to 191, Allah says, Fight in the cause of Allah, those who fight you." But do not transgress the limits, for Allah does not love transgressors. And slay them wherever you find them and turn them out from where they have turned you out uh, for turmoil and oppression are worse than slaughter. And of course people will, they take little pieces of ayat and they try to distort the, uh, the, the Quran and the Sunnah. But the Quran is very clear, look at everything as a whole. Is that uh, you don't transgress any limits. This is and we need to keep this by the way in context. All of these ayat. Remember that the Muslims weren't commanded for years to fight. Their dawah was was not fighting. Their dawah was just calling people to Islam and they suffered the abuses. And so when they had the uh, uh, the when the, the their enemies had the upper hand, they were told not to fight for a significant period of time, even though many of them wanted to fight many of them wanted to fight back but they obeyed Allah and His Messenger ﷺ. and guess what even when they had the upper hand they didn't transgress the limits think about Fathah Makkah think about so many periods of history with the Sahaba when they had the upper hand that they showed mercy and compassion Fathah Makkah, they spared the same people that came to kill them Our Rasul Sallallahu forgave the same man the same man that killed and cut out the liver of his uncle. So let's let's love the balance of our deen. Let's love and appreciate uh, that. And we and when the when the Ottoman Empire or had these values, this is when they were the best example of what Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had commanded. The other advice Whoever among you, among my offspring, deviates from the path of truth and justice will be deprived from intercession by Prophet Muhammad on the Day of Judgment. Justice is a cornerstone of Islamic society. Allah ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Nahl ayah 90, Allah commands justice and kindness and giving help to kith and kin. In Surah al nisa ayah 58, judge with justice. In Surah Nisa, Ayah 135, Stand out firmly for justice, even if it's against your own self. Truth and justice. This needs to be the cornerstone of our families. This needs to be the cornerstone of our communities. This needs to be the cornerstone of our nations. If we get that back, we're going to get our Ummah back. We get truth and justice back, we're going to get a true islamic civilization and society back his advice o oh son we are not of those who wage wars for the pleasure of power or individual authority we live by islam and we and by islam we die the leader of the uh, ottoman state will also be known as a ghazi uh, or the mujahid in the path of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And when you look at the end of his reign, of the reign of Uthman, remember, he started his uh, empire with 4,800 square kilometers. By the end of his reign, he had a kingdom and empire of 16,000 square kilometers. 16,000 square kilometers. They had a channel to the Sea of Marmara. They conquered great Byzantine cities, Aznik and Bursa. Because of this policy that uh, they implemented, because of the purpose that they had, you see now this Ottoman Empire now growing. And it's growing with an identity. Remember, this constitution gives them an identity. So now when we talk about the next podcast, we'll talk about the uh, rulership or how the evolution occurs during the time of Orhan ibn Uthman. So Orhan, what happens during his time? And we see now the ideas, the purpose, the constitution, the foundation that takes place now becomes institutionalized. And we're going to see, inshallah, as we go through the Ottoman Empire, the great effect institutions, properly formed institutions have on a society. The stability that those institutions give to a society and what it gave to al Uthmaniyah. So inshallah, next week, we will continue. Actually, our next podcast, will have a special guest Uh, Most likely, so stay tuned for that We're going to announce the surprise guest Inshallah ta'ala And then uh, we will uh, continue uh, Most likely uh, during Eid weekend We may have a break during that time But then we'll continue, Inshallah We'll get through this uh, series uh, Within uh, a few more podcasts Bidhnillah And uh, hopefully during this process We can take a lot of lessons Because I wanted to really spend time With this constitution We just don't want to Know the what and when. You know, a lot of times when people look at stories or history, or even when they look at the Quran, like, uh, and you know, we, you know, we, like in the past, we've discussed, like, you know, people being just inundated with wanting to know details that may not be beneficial to them. Oh, was the, there was a dog, and sort of like, yeah, what was the color of the dog? I want to know the color of Fido in the cave. Okay, as if that's gonna benefit you. The benefit that we want when studying Dawlatul Uthmaniyya We want the deeper benefit Of what are the wisdoms What are the positives that we can take From this empire That we can use as a source of inspiration And everything links back To Of course the teachings of uh, Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The Quran The life and legacy of the Sahaba That always goes back to there but this is why we want to study history, not just for the oh, to, to, to know the facts or to know how great this like, empire was materially. Remember, what's more important is the characteristic traits, the meaning, the identity that they have. So then that we can be proud of the similar traits that we share because we're Muslim. We still have Islam. They were Muslim. They were Islam. That's what gave them their identity and that's what we want to connect with that's the depthness of why we want to connect with unfortunately many students like I teach they just want to look at the superficiality like the what, when, where, the action like the material outcome that's not the benefit the benefit is not just the description of what happened but the meaning and the implication behind it because remember life huck, we live by the huck, we die by the huck, and just when you think life is stuck Tune in to LifeHacker. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi barakatuh. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection, or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.